Welcome to All Things Beer, a Pat's Pints Mark's Mugs podcast. I'm Pat Woodward. And I'm Mark Richards. Each month, we are joined by brewers, enthusiasts, and friends to explore the techniques, the culture, and the history of mankind's best invention. So grab a beer and join us as we discover a world of all things beer. All right, we're back as we promised, and a lot quicker this time. Absolutely. And today we're going to talk about the British family of bitters, starting with the ordinary bitter, the best bitter, Mm -hmm. and of course the extra special bitter. Oh yeah. Now we couldn't find any ordinary bitters, but we did find a best bitter to start with. And Pat, this isn't bitter at all. Well, it is a little bit of a confusing name. I'm going to go ahead and pop a bottle of Fuller's London Pride. And in fact, on the bottle, it doesn't call itself a best bitter. It well, they don't want to confuse the Americans. Amber ale, you know, we got to describe it as it looks, not by the way it tastes. That's totally fair. Well, here we go. Oh, yeah. Look at the head, Pat. Beautiful. Now, this would be considered a real ale in Britain, would it not, Mark? Has it been forced carved? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I think we already will not call it a real ale. But that is something for our listeners out there. If we talk about the campaign for real ale, a big criterion to be a real ale is that the carbonation has to come naturally. That's right. And that camera, as we're going to call it, and this is a uh, pretty strict thing over there. Oh, yeah. They have uh, a lot of rules uh, if you want to be called a real ale. Oh, yeah. I found it very interesting when we toured the Black Sheep Brewery over in the UK that you are responsible for their product to the point that if you do not serve it the way they want it served and pulled when they want it pulled, they'll fire you as an account. That's something you'll hear of much here in the U.S. The customer doesn't always know best, I guess. But, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong with Cascales, so I can understand why they're particular. Sure, sure. And the customer may not always know best, but here in the States, we lie to them (laughs) to keep their business, (laughs) seemingly. Now, is it possible to have a real ale in a bottle? If you uh, bottle conditioned it, sure. Yeah, as long as it's bottle conditioned. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, most of the time when I was having bitters in the UK, it would have been from the cask at a pub. Wonderful. It's a great way to have it. Now, when I was up in Berwick-upon-Tweed... Right up on the Scottish-English border. Yeah, just on the backside of our bed and breakfast, there was an award-winning camera real ale pub that had a selection of four on tap. I had them all. Exceptional. And let's also say, especially when we're in the range of ordinary bitters, these are exceptionally low in alcohol. So I met some locals. We went down to the new pub, and then we went to their old pub. So I got quite a bit, I would say, in excess of a dozen bitters in me. That's a good field research. The alcohol, it was a long session, and... And I was not impaired, you know. I probably shouldn't have drove an automobile, and I did not, but I was close walking distance uh, to all those locations. Great to have those fresh cask ales. Well, we were talking about um, the sessionability, and we were talking about black sheep bitter earlier, which is one I had a lot of. And, yeah, that's 3.8%. Yeah, that's great. The, the whole idea of sessionable is that you can keep going without ending up on your face. Make a nice long session of it. So, yeah, yeah that's great. And that dates back to the days when, you know, actually people didn't have heating in their homes. And so going down to the pub was a lot more comfortable way to spend your evening than in your crappy little unheated, your hovel. 
your so hobble. Well, your flat was pretty nice there. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. People not living in hobbles anymore. I don't want to <laughs> cast aspersions on the English. I don't yeah. mean that at all. But there was a point in time where, you know, yeah, life was hard. And going to the pub was kind of a luxury. If you're going to be there for four or five hours, well, you're not just loitering around, right? So you want to be drinking a beer. This beer is a beautiful clarity. And what, how would you call it? Color? It's amber. I'd say a rich amber. Yeah. And no haze. Zero haze uh, for you people that like those hazy beers. GTFO. I mean, the bitter is a simple beer in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, right? you got your base malts. We were talking about the black sheep earlier. Yeah. And the black sheep bitter is made with Maris Otter malt. What a wonderful beer. Uh, another real popular one over there would be the Timothy Taylor Landlord. Okay. And for that one, the base malt is the Golden Promise. And now, then- you're local there at the Coal Pits, Pat. Did Samuel Smith also have the best, uh, a, a uh, Ordinary, a ESB? What did they have? Well, I'm trying to think. I think it would, they just called it the Bitter. The Bitter, okay. probably would have been an Ordinary Bitter. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not every brewery makes all three ranges. Okay. And, and the naming can be a, a little bit confusing. Sure. Uh, I mean, with the ESB... You could call it an extra special bitter. You right. could call it a strong bitter, yeah. or you could even call it an English pale ale. So Fuller's, of course, does make an ESB, mm-hmm. which is stronger. We're drinking the London Pride, the, the best bitter, and this one is, I think, 4.8%. 4.7, which would be the maximum for a best bitter. Okay. And that's going to be a little bit of a difference between some of the U.S. beers in the sense we're going to go out in the field and try an ESB or two, and most of those are going to be in the strong category. They're going to be 5% or so. Sure. The other thing, of course, is these beers tending a little bit to the amber color. Mm-hmm. And that color doesn't come just from the base malts, right? Yeah. That's going to be from the addition of crystal malts. Yeah, sometimes crystal malt, a lot of toast and biscuit in this as well. This has a nice toffee character to it, I find, Pat. And the hops are only there for balancing out the beer. This is definitely not a bitter beer, although the naming convention would suggest it. If you talk about the low-gravity beers that would be served in English pubs, there was a divide between, on the one hand, bitters, and on the other hand, milds. The bitters have more IBUs. They're more bitter than a mild, but let's say a lot less bitter than many other beers that we might think of as being bitter. Sure. What are the IBU ranges typically in the BJCP for uh, these bitters? So for the ordinary bitter, the IBU range would be 25 to 35. On the best bitter, 25 to 40. And on the ESB, that would be 30 to 50 range of IBU, which is international bittering units. And let's just say those are not trivial levels of bitterness. If you have a beer that's 35, 40, even 50 IBUs, that's actually a fair amount of bitterness. Yeah, for sure. Well, it balances out the sweetness nicely. And then, of course, the hops that are used should be the British kind of hops. Goldings, Fuggles, Challenger. Mm-hmm. And those all kind of have a kind of a herbal, sometimes woodsy character to them. They're not that fruity. Yes, not at all. Sometimes a little bit of marmalade. Mm-hmm. marmalade but definitely toast. not citrusy. Not citrusy, not tropical. Yeah. In truth, we went to Wylands, which is one of the closest beer stores to the studios here, and we saw, well, what kind of choices would we have? And, and really, this was the only thing available that would fall into the British bitter category. Right? Yeah, they're hard to find. All things beer listeners, help us out again. We've got to be drinking these beers if they're going to be on the shelves. 
But that's also a good motivation to maybe go out and see what kind of beer you can find by area brews because it's going to be fresher. And this is really a style that I think benefits a lot from being fresh. I know Edison has an ESB and Phoenix up in Mansfield has an exceptional ESB. And that one is a a year-round beer there, which is Mm -hmm. also kind of unusual. There are breweries that might make one now and again. Sure. But to have one on all the time, not so common. Actually, maybe it's something about going up north, but I think you can oftentimes also get uh, an ESB at Stoss uh-huh. and as well as Hemnick Farms. Oh, yeah. We've got to reach out to Stoss and see if we can get them on sometime. What a cute little brewery. Yeah, it's a great brewery. And, you know, we want to come back later and do a show on Cascale. And yeah. they do casks, and I think they would be excellent for that episode. Well, I think that's enough of the prelude, and I think we should... Um, Let's get in the car and take a little road trip. Yeah, head up north and uh, see what they got going on up at the Phoenix. All right, let's do it. Here we are up in Mansfield, Ohio at the Phoenix Brewery. And we were here three days ago. And, you know, this is a season for tricks and treats. The treat is, well, we get to have ESBs again this week, which isn't a bad treat. The trick was, we're not sure, maybe Charlie. It could have been Mark, who is not a ghost. Uh, we, we only got 12 seconds last week. So we thought we'd get a little longer podcast this week. We are joined today by... Duncan and Carmen McFarlane. And Charlie. And possibly. 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 Yeah. Possibly. Hey, glad to have you guys back. Well, why don't we begin? Tell us a little bit about the Phoenix and your story and how you got into this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we opened in 2014. Group of homebrewers wanted to bring, you know, a craft beer revolution back to Mansfield. There weren't a lot of places serving it, and it was hard to find, and... We've been drinking craft beer for more years than I'd like to admit before uh, opening. Um, we started in college back in the 90s. One of our partners, Scott Cardwell, kept asking Duncan, you know, hey, you should open up a craft brewery. And Duncan kept saying, no, I just you know, really enjoy making homebrew. And finally, Scott said, we should open up a craft brewery. It became this kind of passion and it's evolved into something different. And we're just really kind of happy with where things are at. I mean, I think if you were to have the benefit of hindsight and you were looking back at the trajectory of craft beer, you would say 2014 was a pretty good time to open a craft brewery. It was the perfect time. Yeah, there absolutely. There were still less than 100 breweries in Ohio. Um, things were still relatively new. I don't want to say the curiosity was more then. I think the curiosity is still, still just as strong from customers and other people, but it was just a great time to, to open and... Yeah, it wasn't long before we opened that Rick Garman had a book signing up the street here. Okay, cool. Probably 2012, and kind of where I learned about the changes in the law that were coming. So there might have been a recent change uh, that increased alcohol in beer from 6% to 11 That's yeah. one of the changes that it had just happened, or was just about to happen. And that's when we met Rick up here, and we, we know Rick. And then also, we got wind of changes in liquor permitting going to more of a one thousand dollars to open a tap room versus eight thousand as it was before so it became a little more cost effective so there was some things in place 
in that regard before we open. I mean, Rick is a good friend of mine. He was the organizer of this uh, King of Ohio contest, of which I was part of. You made the finals, and you came in in the top three, I think, of the King of Ohio contest. The initial one, which was about IPAs, right? Yeah, early on, it was 2015. That sounds about right. Yeah. Which beer did you enter in that? It was our Redemption IPA, which is our flagship, one of our flagships. Yeah. Cool. Now, what about the facility, the building that we're housed in here? Because that's kind of also a unique story. And the building was built in 1914. And what's kind of nice is that the buildings to the right of us were also from the same family. So the Schreer family mortuary and the Schreer family furniture factory were all kind of connected together. It was just fairly a natural progression at that time. If you were the person who was making furniture or cabinetry, you were also the person making caskets for your community. So for them to open this up after was just kind of a natural progression of, of their business. And that was common for a lot of places, not just here. The room that we're in now is the spirit room uh, above the Phoenix tap room, and this was the viewing room when it was a mortuary. The tap room itself was the chapel, and then the basement would have been the preparation areas. Well, it's really beautiful what you've done with the space, and I imagine that a lot of sweat and love went into making it look the way it does now from what it was when you took it over, right? I mean, we talk about why we started a brewery, and a lot of that had to do with the building that we saw. Even though it was run down, it was still a solid structure. It was one of the first fire-resistant buildings in Mansfield. So even though it had been neglected over time, there was still a solid foundation. And not much of a chance of this building blowing away either. No, not at all. It's a lot of concrete and brick in here. One of the things we're doing this month is that we've got this focus on extra special bidders, bidders in general. One of the reasons we made the trip up here is to have your five guinea extra special bitter. So tell us a little bit about this beer we're having right now. Started with five core beers, 2014. It's been a long time ago, but this was one of the beers we started with. I think it was our fifth or sixth beer that we started with. Not a lot of ESPs are, well, they're not common. They're not as popular. I don't think a lot of people consume them like maybe they used to, but it's one of those beers that is held on as a flagship. A lot of people come in and it's their go-to beer. You know, it's the beer of the common man. It's like if you lived in the UK, and I, and I lived there for a while, you just go down to the pub and every pub would have a bitter. Yeah, I think if you have a, an ESP, a bitter, there's no reason to switch to another style that, that day or that session. It's just enjoyable. You don't think about it. It's got that nice balance. I mean, maybe you're not wild by it, but it... I'm wild by it. I, I really enjoy an ESP. I think it's a hard style to find these days. Oh, here's a question. Yeah. Now, this is called the Five Guinea ESB. Yes. So, tell everybody what a guinea is. And, well, I can go beyond that. But, and, and is Five Guineas a, a lot of There's guineas? There's definitely a story. So. There, there is a story. So, being in a former mortuary in our home, we tried to incorporate, you know, some things from that. And one of our viewers is the ferryman. And in order to cross over, you have to pay the ferryman. So, we have our own interpretation that you're crossing over, you're paying with a Five Guinea. Yeah, we had a theory that maybe it was uh, the price of a keg back in when the but, origination of the oh, ASP. Maybe, yeah. I, I looked it up, and, and a guinea is was worth a little bit more than a pound. Yeah. Okay. And it's called a guinea because the gold that went into the coin came from Guinea. So, uh, so that's what you pay the ferry. Yeah. So okay. Uh, that, that makes sense. Beer. That would be a lot to pay for a pint of beer. <laughs> yeah, Guinea, for sure. But so, but that's for the ferryman to get to get to the afterlife, five dollars yeah. on happy hour. So there you go. That's not bad. There you go. That's not bad. I would call it a nice tawny color. Uh, it's got uh, definitely a delicious toffee note to it. And, uh, I really enjoy that toasted, you know, biscuity character. It's it's what you want. 
what kind of uh, IBU would you say there is on this beer? Do you know? It's uh, around 30, but I think the... That, that sounds about right. That's reasonable. That seems like what my palate would I do some, I use some aromatic malts. Um, I use a breeze special roast, which I really nice. like. Nice. Okay. So, yeah, you can kind of play with malts in this kind of beer. Yeah. With other, with yeah. What's the base malt for this beer? Do you know? Um, it's usually a UK Maris Otter. Okay. Yeah. Um, Classic. But I, I've actually got a, a maltster, Montana malt. And then they've got British kale ale malt, which I've been trying. Okay. Um, so it's based on UK traditions, but it's, a, it's an American product. Yeah, cool. Actually, they have lots of interesting barleys over there in Britain. I mean, of course, we know about Maris Otter, and there's Golden Promise, but there's Optic, and there's one called Tipple. And I think uh, we have a friend who brews over there, has a brewery, and uh, I think he likes Chevalier. I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of barleys that, you know, yeah, here you, we never talk about that. And you can grow them here yeah. And, yeah. and malt them, uh, floor malted tradition. Yeah. Certainly that can be done here. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shout out Nick Smith over there at the Steam Machine Brewery. I know you're listening right now. Well, and speaking of malts, we did an episode a while back with uh, Matt Cunningham of uh, Rustic Brew Farms. And uh, I like his malts. I use them a lot when oh, I can yeah. get them in my home brew. And they also have that kind of. European character to some extent. Oh, yeah. If you got time to go back and listen to that, too, what an amazing listen. And, boy, Matt really knows his stuff. And, and we really got an education when we were out there. So, yeah. So, tell us a little bit about the paranormal activity and the Phoenix. So, Charlie is our resident house and we refer to him as Charlie because one of the uh, original owners of the building committed suicide, and his name was Charles. We have had some ghost hunters come in and say the name is not Charlie and they've given us different names. Um, but we tend to refer to him as Charlie and we really hope that that he is okay with everything we've done in the space. Now, you told us when we were here the last time, he does not care for beer, but he loves the fact that people are congregating here. Correct. From what the ghost hunters have told us is he's not a fan of alcohol in general. Okay. Especially not beer. They have said that he enjoys having people here and that he enjoys having the building be of use and uh, being utilized. Oh, that's great. Now, getting more into Charlie and the beers and such, and you've had people come with the paranormal activity uh-huh. meters. Describe how that all goes down. Um, well, we're usually closed. <laughs> it's usually late at night. Um, the hour that typically ghost hunters say, I guess they say it's 3 a.m. There's an hour that a lot of ghost hunters want. We're typically not that late. Uh, we do have one scheduled in a few weeks. Oh, wow. We're with someone who's, and I won't say anything yet, but yeah. who is um, a, a well-known ghost hunter. Oh, wow. I'd like to be a fly on the wall for that. He's going to go through and kind of determine just how active things are. Uh-huh. He's asked a couple of times, and we're really excited to have him come in. That's cool. The EMF meters, um, the recording devices, uh, photographs, there's a lot of things that people have used when they come in to kind of see what's happening and try to identify and find the ghost. Have you yourselves experienced anything that you would be hard to explain in any other way? We first opened, and before we actually opened, we had uh, the three, it was four owners at the time, and we had the owner of the building releasing the building. Okay. And he was downstairs, and we were taking a photograph of one of our windows, because all the windows are original, and we changed the glass, we painted them, and it was looking nice against the brick. And there was a photo, I don't remember who took the photo, but we were standing in front of one of the windows, and one of the panes of the windows snapped right as we were taking Oh, wow. That was... <laughs> that's a little hairy. Yeah, it was... That's just a weird thing to happen. Yeah. So that, that jumped out at me, literally. 
Uh, we were we were busy with the, the renovations early on. Okay. And in the basement, it's kind of dark. We didn't have a whole lot of lighting. Yeah. I didn't really have appropriate shoes on to, to be running up and down the stairs. And I lost my footing one, one evening, and there was a hand on my elbow. Oh. And when I turned around, there was no one there. Um, oh, okay. So I'd like to think that Charles is helpful and he's looking out for all of us. He's a protector. That's he's nice. Protector. We think yeah. We think he's just an overall good guy, good ghost. Do you think there's only one ghost on the facility, or it was a mortuary, so most of the bodies were either DOA? Charles shot himself in the chapel in 1932, so he's the only known person to have died here that said this. It should be noted that he had a terminal illness. He chose to end his life in his own terms, and I think that's kind of an important thing to mention, if it truly is Charles. It's also interesting that not long after Charles passed, the mortuary closed. The furniture business closed in 1955. Okay. So there was a long period of years where they didn't reopen the mortuary for whatever reason. So this building was vacant. Yeah. Uh, for 85 years before we. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I can see why they might be glad that there's a little bit going on here. Yeah, so that's yeah. a, a ghost that might be happy to see. Yeah. Yeah. Now, since we switched to ghost talk here, and speaking of Charlie, I've been drawing some static into the cables here. That, that's not a joke. So. Huh. For what it's worth. We usually do our ghost hunts for charity. We're here. We do usually do like a, a beer tasting and then do the rest of the evening is looking for for others to connect with. And we had one group come in and there was only three of them. And I still get goosebumps when I think about how reactive they were to this person. Some of the groups come in and there's nothing happening on the EMF meter. Yeah. This person ask questions and legitimately the, the meter every question there was a response and it, it wasn't cell phones it wasn't interference cell phones were all over you know across the room and I turned around okay. it wasn't my meter where I was standing right beside her it was just her meter Wow. and she's talking and it's just her meter going off so it's not like it was something driving by or, or anything else and the kind of questions that she asked were you know really kind of insightful to this kind of spirit, you know, asking questions and just kind of getting feedback about, you know, what was this person okay? And this is the interesting part. One of the questions that she asked was, um, because we have a 25,000 square foot warehouse next door, she asked, are there spirits next door? And the meter was way in the red, like flashing a lot. And then it was, do you visit with them? And there was a little pause and the meter went up a little bit. And then it was, do you like them? And there was nothing. So there was no response. But the experience you were talking about happened, to, happened in the other building. We had the EMF meters out with our staff. We would go to um, after a staff meeting. And, and then later in the week, we had someone come through. And we picked up a name of Grace. And that was what the person or the spirit, the entity, responded to. Oh, really? So there yeah. could be another ghost named Grace in the building. Not in this building, in the other building. Oh, in the other building. Okay, okay. Yeah, we go all the way down the street. Oh, yeah. Okay, now, I think you had mentioned that Charlie says he can go next door, but prefers he doesn't like to because he doesn't like the neighbors over there? He didn't respond. He didn't respond, like, to that question. You know, it could be a lot of maybe he was just tired. Yeah, I can see that. We didn't have a next door. We didn't have a staff member who moved a keg, was taking a keg next door. And he saw something he wanted to investigate. When he came back, the keg was moved. We're not sure if somebody moved it. it it's Interesting. not a, an accidental thing to move a keg. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty, pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah. 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 
They're heavy. He still doesn't go back in the building to this day. Interesting. Now, looking at the tap list, it looked like you have other beers that might have names that are themed either either based on Halloween or being in a funeral home. Yeah, we have three main themes. I'm trying to remember them. Um, we are the Phoenix, yep. rising out of the ashes. So mythology is one theme. The mortuary, so dark, death, and local history are our main three themes. So most of our beers fit in one of those categories. Okay. So that's 419 is actually 419. Okay. 419 is the area code in this area. Right. That, right. That's not the reason for the beer. <laughs> okay. okay. So 419 is police scanner code in some states for a dead human body. Oh, okay. So we got 419 yeah. here on, on Euclid Street, you know, send some backup or whatever it is. So that's, but nobody would know that by, by seeing it on the board. Sure. Yeah. John Doe is another one. Uh, John Doe is a beer that we brewed because we found bones in the basement during the renovation. Tell me a little bit more about having bones in the basement. I mean, it was a mortuary former, but it, yeah. five years is a long time to have some left. So yeah. we're getting renovation. We're not open yet. We weren't really thinking about beer names probably at the time. There's drainage going into the uh, embalming area, which is going to be the brewery. And one of the workers came up to me and he said, uh, you need to see this. And he showed me a six-inch bone. Uh, he was like, I found this uh, while we were digging. I mean, it looked like it could have been a human arm bone. I just wanted to let you know, but you probably shouldn't tell anybody. Because I worked at a, a, a job site where they shut it down for a month or so. Well, like I said earlier, we didn't own the building. We had uh, we were tenants. And I felt necessary that I tell the owner of the building that what happened. You know, here I am, I told somebody. Well, he's decided to, to call the police and two detectives showed up. So when the detectives showed up, the, the construction worker uh, glared at me. <laughs> He's like, I told you not <laughs> to do this. Death stare. <laughs> yeah. So they're looking at the bone. There, there was an older detective and a younger detective. To me, it was like a tense moment, but the younger detective said, hey, Bob, this bone could be older than you when you're yeah. a, you know, something, <laughs> something to that effect. He was making fun of the guy's age. Yeah. Okay. And they had a good laugh. I felt better about it. They said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to send this for analysis to determine if it's human or non-human. And that could take a week. I think we called the next day or they got a hold of us the next day and they said, uh, your project's good to go. We determine it's not human. Now, I didn't press him on it. On, you know, normally these things take longer than right. overnight. So we were thinking that maybe they just tossed it out the window. <laughs> in a hundred-year-old building... Digging in the concrete, it's probably a cold case. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I really think it was probably animal bones. Yeah. But we got the name Don Doe out of it. So there's the story. Uh, oh, now what was that? Did you hear that? <laughs> Charlie? Chucky. <laughs> That's a little scary. And I, I'm serious. I keep getting an occasional static when we're talking ghost talk. It's kind of weird. We don't want to cross over the line and get anybody uh, upset with us. No, I think I think we're yeah we're yeah. being nice to Charlie and hopefully he's always been nice to you guys so he probably like us. What does he think of this uh, spirit room upstairs where we are now? Is that a positive from the ghost point of view? Yeah. Maybe this I used to be so. where he hung out. You know, I, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, you know, I think the only I mean there are two instances that I can think of that might be the one that might be negative. We do have staff members who had glasses come off the shelves yeah. in the night. That's scary. Which is very scary. Sure. Um, and then I think I told you guys this last time that 
the random guy that walked in off the street and said, you've got something here. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, and he likes it. He's happy here. And then he just walked out. Never um, happened again. Never be seen again. Yeah. I mean, there's, there are some strange things that happen. <laughs> A customer who was touched, kept getting touched in the back of his neck. Oh, yeah. That would freak you out. Well, cool. Well, hey, thanks for having us out again. Uh, yeah, we had so much fun last time. Why not? And let's do it again. Let's do it again next Sunday, Sunday and Wednesdays up here at the Phoenix. <laughs> it's not bad. Right. Well, maybe you'll see Pat and I up here. And uh, if you don't, you'll definitely see Thanks these two. Up with oh, man. Uh, it's so good. Ghost stuff. And that's, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having one. And cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Everyone cheers. have a great rest of your night. Well, we, I think we got to stop and uh, have a little bit of The Undertaker before we leave. I wouldn't fight that at all. Well, great listeners, thanks for listening, and uh, get out there and do some trick or treat and give your neighbor a beer. That's what I always do.